Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 10. This is the last lesson for this term. We are going to pick up where we left off. We were actually in John chapter 4 and verse 10, and we got to the place where we're discussing living water. The phrase living water, John MacArthur writes, the Old Testament is the background for this term, which has important metaphorical significance. In Jeremiah 2.13, Yahweh condemns the disobedient Jews for rejecting him. The fountain of living waters. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to a time when living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. That's in Ezekiel 47.9 and Zechariah 14 and verse 8. The Old Testament metaphor spoke of the knowledge of God and His grace, which provides cleansing, spiritual life, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. John applies these themes to Jesus Christ as the living water, which is symbolic of eternal life, mediated by the Holy Spirit from Him. Here, Jesus used the woman's need for physical water to sustain life in this arid region in order to serve as an object lesson for her need for spiritual transformation. So in other words, he's saying just as you need water in this physical realm, just as you can see okay, the dryness of this land and why it is that you do need water, he's saying your life is like this land. It is dry and it needs living water. Amen? And I believe a lot of us, you know, this is, this is where a lot of people are at the moment in their life. They are like this dry, arid land. They are in need of living water. They think they're okay. They think that because they have all their material needs taken care of, everything is okay. But the thing is, there is a longing on the inside of people. There is a dryness that only God can fill up. And this is, as we begin to realize this, that's where, see, it's because of that that people start doing some crazy things, by the way. Let me preach to you for a minute. I've been teaching you all this time. A lot of times people don't realize what they have need of. They think they're okay. They think everything is fine. But they don't realize that their very core is dry. The very core part of their being has needs that they don't even recognize yet. And because of the things that they, are, they need on the inside not being fulfilled, they start doing crazy things on the outside. You know, their behavior changes, they do things that, you know, people will just shake their heads and go, why did that person do that? They do a lot of stuff, okay, that you might just cringe at. And you just can't imagine anybody doing things like that. But when you realize that there is a need that is going unmet on the inside, then you begin to realize that all the things they're doing on the outside are trying to make up for the lack they have on the inside. Amen? And because you've been filled by God, because you've got that fullness of life in you, it just doesn't even enter your mind. Do you hear what I'm saying? And this is one of the things as well that, you know, I'm noticing that whenever there is a lack somewhere, things start going off track. Things start sort of going sideways a little bit, if you know what I mean. But as soon as you feel that need, suddenly they're okay. Suddenly they're not doing dumb things. And in fact, they look back and go, wow, why did I do that for? Uh, it, it's, it's funny how there are people that will say, you know, in a million years I would have never thought I would have said that or done that. Okay? But 
they were coming from a place in the past where everything was good. And then suddenly when things kind of go all crazy, and you lose your focus, you lose your balance, you lose your center. It's funny how you start doing things that you just would have sworn you'd never do. Amen? And then once you find it, you look back and you can't believe that was you. Okay? This is something that Jesus recognizes in this woman. He's seeing that there is a lack in her life. Jesus is going to show us how to deal with these kind of situations and outcasts. Okay? When we meet up with them. All right. Additionally, Leon Morris points out that it was living water that took away defilement and made acceptable worshippers out of unclean people. Can I say that again? It was living water that took away defilement and made acceptable worshippers out of unclean people. Now that's something that a Jewish mind would not comprehend. Okay? If you're unclean, that's it, you're unclean. End of story. That is your whole life. But Jesus is different. Jesus says, no, that's just your starting point. Let me show you how to get clean. Amen? I'll show you a better life. Isn't that the miracle of what we see so much today in people getting saved? They go from being people of disrepute and questionable behavior, okay, to people of just impeccable standards, and yet non-judgmental. You find that the people usually, usually, that have come through some very difficult things are very slow to judge because they've been there. And they know how hard it is. And they know the chance they were given. And they are wanting to extend that same out to other people. And those people that have grown up generally in religious type homes, religious, not godly. Please get the difference, okay? In religious type homes, they grow up with a self-righteousness that looks down their nose at everybody, can't understand why people do the things they do, and we should form our own little group over here and stay away from that unclean thing. Continuing on to John 4 and verse 11, it says that the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? <laughs> see, now, let me stop here. Can you see what he's done with her as opposed to what he did with Nicodemus? What was the phrase with Nicodemus that threw him? Born again. And he goes, say what? How, how does that happen? I can't go back to my mother's womb and blah, blah, blah. With her, he's at a well. So he, he throws out the phrase, living water. She goes, but you don't have nothing to get it with. <laughs> okay? Uh, where are you getting at your living water from? Just like, how can I get born again? You know? Can you see what he's doing? Alright, wherever he is, he's using that situation and he's going to start talking about something. He's going to get their curiosity as high as a kite. Okay? And then they want to talk now. The reason for this unusual response is that as Hendrickson explains, the woman thought that Jesus was making reference to the spring water at the very bottom of the well that bubbles up below the standing water, thus continually filling the well. The woman is thoroughly perplexed and mystified what this stranger is saying seems to be absurd, even if he did have a rope and a bucket. Okay? <laughs> Alright. And so she continues to say in John 4.12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, the Samaritans, through the line of Joseph, had traced their descent to Jacob. 
very conveniently forgetting their mixed ancestry. Okay? And why she says again, so they're kind of leaving out the part that they actually mixed and married other people and everything, it doesn't matter about all that. And why she says again, are you greater than our father Jacob? See, they're always trying to get back into that bloodline. You know, because the Jews are, are saying, you're no longer part of us. And so they're saying, oh no, no, our father is Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock. What? Let me just stop here for a minute. Why Jacob? What was Jacob's name after? See, it wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Isaac. It's Jacob, because Jacob is identified with Israel. So they're saying, oh, listen, we're as much Israelites as they are. Bunch of two-faced, no. <laughs> okay? You know what I'm trying to say? That's why she pulls out Jacob, because Jacob changed his name to Israel. The nation of Israel. Okay? And that's how all the Jews are basically known. All right? Okay. Just a by the way there for you. So Morris says, in the woman's attitude here appears to be something of a sense of outrage. She was content with her uh, patriarchal will. How dare a mere stranger claim to produce anything better than that? So she's saying, listen, our water is good enough. What are you trying to tell me? You got better water? Okay, all right. And so Jesus, having provoked and wakened this woman's emotion and curiosity, now begins to explain to her the difference between the literal water of Jacob's well and the living water which he would give. All right, so now he begins in verse 13. It says there, Jesus answered and said to her, John 4, 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. She's asked a question, what makes yours better than mine? He's answering her. Get it? He's saying, this water you need to drink and drink and drink. If you drink this, you get thirsty again. Okay, so this is the difference. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Ooh, that's pretty good water. You're going to bottle that stuff. No, <laughs> okay. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, or literally a vigorous stream of water springing up into everlasting life. There's the key. With Nicodemus, you need to get born again to have everlasting life. Here, I'm going to give you living water that will give you everlasting life. Okay? It's going to cause something that happened on the inside. But notice he says, that I shall give him will become in him a fountain. See, this is what's amazing about this water. This water produces something in you. It causes something miraculous to take place on the inside of you. D.A. Carson says that, we'll, we'll talk about this. This thirst is not for natural water, but for God. For eternal life in the presence of God. That's the spring that's going to burst forth on the inside of you. You are going to suddenly have a hunger for God and a hunger to spend eternity with God. Hallelujah. You know, we all want that. But the world doesn't necessarily want that. Have you noticed? They don't want anything to do with that religious stuff. You know? Oh, you know, we'll all, we're all going to hell and, you know, ha ha ha, meet you in hell. They have no idea what they're on about. You know, they, they think it's a joke. Nobody down there is laughing. That's what's so funny about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> to, th to this William MacDonald adds the contrast is very vivid all that earth can provide is not sufficient to fill 
the human heart. Let's stop there for a minute. All that earth can provide is not sufficient. All the wealth, all the families, all the friends, all the things that you have, all the cats, all the dogs. Listen to me, because some people think that's all they need. Okay, listen, he says, and this is so important, all the earth can provide is not sufficient to fill the human heart. You can fill up your time, and you can fill up your life, but your heart will still be empty. Remember I told you there are things that people do, and they think, why did I do this? This is the reason why. But the blessings which Christ provides not only fill the heart, but they are too great for any heart to contain. Not only will this living water fill up your heart, but it will start springing forth. You see, that's why it's such a miracle. That's why we are to be so bubbly and so full of life wherever we go, that we are to be the light of the world, the glorious church, the salt of the earth. Amen? That's why Jesus says that it will create on the inside of the person a fountain or a vigorous stream that springs up into everlasting life. Notice it springs up into everlasting life. Praise God. The seed goes in and out it pops. Okay? (laughs) A spring of eternal life begins. And so having been told of this marvelous water, the woman immediately wanted to have it. With John chapter 4 and verse 15 going to say, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. She's going, this is good stuff. That I may not thirst. You know why, right? She didn't want to keep coming to the well. Because if she by accident came when somebody else was there, oh, they would have told her off. You know, it's bad enough being a Samaritan woman. It's worse having a Samaritan woman tell another Samaritan woman off. You know, even your own peers are telling you off. Hello. We'll find out why soon. Okay. Alright, so, so she's asking him this now from the, purely from the standpoint of, Oh dear God, be good if I don't have to come back here again. So he says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. See that? She's still thinking of literal water, but, and her own personal convenience. Accordingly, John MacArthur writes, The woman, like Nicodemus, did not realize that Jesus was talking about her spiritual needs. Instead, in her mind, she wanted such water in order to avoid her frequent trips to Jacob's well. And since this woman has now expressed an interest and a desire for eternal life, it is time to address her conscience and set things right in her life. Okay? And so Jesus is now going to say to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Oh, Jesus, couldn't you just give me the water? Forget my husband. Uh, (laughs) We don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Because there's a few skeletons in the closet. In fact, a lot of skeletons in that closet. Okay? All right. So, now, I want you to understand something here. I want you to notice that with this woman, he has begun a conversation. He has pointed to something that was in front of him and in front of her. He has piqued her curiosity. She is now wanting something from him. Okay, whereas before she would have nothing to do with him, he would have nothing to do with her. It's interesting now that there is a dialogue going on. And now a question is being asked. Okay? 
And now Jesus is going to do something very interesting. And the point I want to make here is this. When you are dealing with the world, you don't need religion. You don't need to know your Bible really well. You need to know the Spirit of God really well. Absolutely. He needs to tell you what's going on. Do you hear what I just said? Okay. This is where we can't, we have trouble separating the two. All right. You need knowledge of the word when you're speaking with religious people. You need the spirit of God when you're speaking with natural people. Interesting, isn't it? Okay. You'd think the other way. You'd think you'd need to get intellectual with people, with all the stuff you know about religion and stuff, in order to persuade them, you know, and get them in another way. All right. And then when you're with religious people, well, they know all that stuff, so let's just get all spiritual, shall we, and speak in tongues or whatever. Notice Jesus is doing the exact opposite. Okay? With, with people that should know stuff, he's saying, oh, let's see what you know. He didn't question this woman or what she knows, because she don't know anything. <laughs> okay? So he's not even going there with her. No. Alright? But with those that thought they knew everything, he's like, let's see what you know, and let's go down the road. You don't know very much. Now he's with her. Different thing altogether. He's drawing on the Spirit. He's drawing on... Where are you from? What's going on in your life? Because I'm going to start talking to you. I need to talk to you on a level where you are going to go, Wow, you're different. You should know this stuff about me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay? Keep an eye on this as we go through this. Alright. D.A. Carson says that Jesus' remark is not designed to be merely self-revealing, rather it is designed to help the woman come to terms with the nature of the gift he is offering. Both in the fourth gospel and in the synoptics, the sheer flexibility of Jesus leaps from the pages as he deals with a wide array of different people and their varied needs. No less startling, though more often ignored, is the manner in which Jesus commonly drives to the individual's greatest sin. Okay? Hopelessness, guilt, despair, or need. I want to go through those slowly. Did you get all of those things? Okay? This should not be surprising. If He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... Inevitably, he will deal with sin in those who express some interest in knowing and following him. See, he's not going to deal with the sin of people that don't know, want to know about it. In fact, that's why he's going to have such a problem with all the Pharisees. They are going to be self-righteous. They are going to believe that they are above doing anything wrong. And whatever wrong they do, well, they're the children of Abraham. They can get away with anything that they want. Right? That gives them a free pass to do anything, and yet Jesus is going to say, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Every single one of you is going to be judged on your life before God, on how you conducted your life in this earth. God isn't going to say, oh, descendant of Abraham, don't worry about it. He could have dealt with the Pharisees' sin. Had they ever repented, had they ever said, we are wrong, we can see that we have messed everything up, We understand that we've gone so far off track. But here you are. You prove to us you are a Messiah because you're healing people. We can see nobody else can do that. 
Okay, the realization Nicodemus said, you can, you, you can only do this stuff unless, you, you know, you can't do this unless you're from God. You must be from God, which means we're wrong. You're right. What do we need to do to change? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay, so the Pharisees don't do that, but this woman is starting to. She's starting to look. She's going to start looking for answers. Amen? Anyway, let's get on with this. And so in answer to his question, and in an effort to ward off any further probing into this very sensitive area of her life, because okay, people do that. Have you noticed? If you touch on something, they want to get away from it as quickly as possible. They will change the subject. They'll do whatever they need to do. All right? It goes in the saying in verse 17, John chapter 4. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Okay, all right. William Hendrickson explains, very abrupt is the woman's answer. She who has been so very talkative, suddenly becomes closed mouth. She knows very well that her curt reply does not do justice to the truth. She is throwing up her guard. She refuses to be exposed or unmasked. She is by no means immediately ready to, to make a full confession of her sins. As a result, it goes in to say, okay, the latter half of verse 17, Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. So he goes, I know. For you have five husbands. Ooh. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. File has been pulled. Let me read this. Let me read this before I make any comments. R. Kent Hughes suggests the following. Her life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. She longed for fulfillment in her life. And she sought it intensely. Her first marriage had probably began with the racing exhilaration that is common to new love. She expected it would carry through her entire life. But something went wrong. And she had been left alone. Then came another man. And the fires began to flame again. Though not quite as high as before. Only to disintegrate into cold ashes. Then came another. And another. And another. Now as she comes to the well at noon. So she can avoid the respectable people. She is worn down and despised. There are few abusers that have not been hurled at her by the people of Sychar. About the only thing she has left are her quick tongue and her wits. Above all, she is filled with a deep longing, a thirst for something better. But for this thirst to be quenched requires complete honesty. With D.A. Carson now writing, Jesus exposes the whole truth, but in the gentlest possible way. He commends her for her formal truthfulness, while pointing out that she has had five husbands. Presumably, each had died or divorced her. And the man with whom she is now sleeping is not her legal husband at all. Rabbinic opinion, this is the rabbis, okay, disapprove more than three marriages, even though they were legally permissible. Alright, so, so rabbis, as far as they were concerned, after three, is something wrong with this, okay? Alright, 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 yeah, I'm trying to say, okay. Alright, so, before the time runs out, let me get through a little bit more. What's of greatest importance here is that by revealing her past, Jesus is revealing his character to her. One who, according to his divine nature, 
is the omniscient one, that knowing all, okay? Thus, he also answers the question of John 4.12, and that is, are you greater than our father Jacob? With this divine revelation, and beginning to understand who she actually is speaking to, it goes in the saying, John 4.19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, that's still not as good as what she's going to say later. She has now come to a conclusion that this is no ordinary person. Okay? Alright. Jesus was so shockingly accurate that this woman doesn't even begin to deny what he said. Notice she doesn't say anything to say you're wrong. Now that's interesting too. Normally people will lie to protect themselves. Can I get a witness in the house? Okay, ah, you know, come on now. Alright? Somebody pulls you up to go, no, I never did that. (laughs) Okay, hello. Alright? This is embarrassing. Plus... He says, yeah, you've said rightly, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with, he ain't your husband now. And fair enough, can can I just get practical for a minute? Who would want to come to the sixth marriage? Unless you're Elizabeth Taylor, no. (laughs) No, But you know, I mean, mean, how many times do you invite people to a marriage? Oh, she's getting married again, really? What, What number is this now? Number five? Okay. You know after number five went, you know, sideways. They don't want to know. They get the invitation and throw it in the bin. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, seriously, how many times? You know what? what, what yeah, something funny about this girl, you know? Okay. So you can understand why she probably didn't decide to marry this guy. You see how Satan works in people's lives. Be careful before you judge someone that you understand that they probably have been through some horrific things. And the reason where they are right now and the things they're doing right now isn't necessarily a life choice. I mean, there are some people out there like that, so we're not talking about them. But there are those people that have been hurt and hurt and hurt so many times, they just don't want to dream anymore. They don't want to hope anymore. Amen? It's just like, you know what? That ship has sailed. You know, I don't have any more hopes for marriage and and all of that. I'm just happy to have somebody next to me in the morning. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, you just get to that, and that's where she's at. So, Leon Morris writes, the function of a prophet in the scriptures was usually to tell forth a message he had from God. But there is evidence that among the people of this time, a prophet was sometimes held to have a special insight into people. That's why she picks this out. She says, I perceive you're a prophet, because they saw prophets in both these lights. That's why when a woman who, Luke 7.37 says, was a sinner, was anointing Jesus' feet, It says in Luke 7.39 that the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So they had that understanding of prophets having this ability as well. Of course Jesus knew and used the incident to teach Simon, that's the Pharisee, okay? (laughs) A very important lesson about repentance and forgiveness, which we're going to study in detail when we get to that passage. Now, returning back to John 4.19, in relation to the woman's recognition of Jesus being a prophet, Leon Morris writes, It is possible that the woman was already groping toward the recognition that Jesus was the Christ. The Samaritans acknowledged no prophet after Moses, and why they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, which Moses wrote, other than the one spoken of in Deuteronomy 18.18, written by Moses, and him they regarded as the Messiah. 
For her to speak of Jesus as a prophet was thus to move into the area of messianic speculation. All of that is telling us this. They believed in the five books of Moses. They didn't believe anything other than that. Within the five books of Moses is Deuteronomy. Okay? Do you all know? That's one of them. Okay? All right. Within, within the book of Deuteronomy, it spoke of this one that was coming. The Messiah. In fact, every book of the Bible talks about the Messiah. Okay? But they picked this one up. Okay? And in her recognizing... See, they're all waiting for the Messiah to come. Everybody knew the Messiah was coming. Alright? The Jews knew it. The Samaritans knew it. Alright? And so, they've been waiting for this one to turn up. In what she's saying now, she's starting to move towards that understanding, that realization... Maybe this is the guy. So her first step into saying, I perceive you are a prophet, is actually, because this is going to go from being a prophet to the prophet. Okay? So there's a small distinction that's, well, it's a small distinction verbally, but a huge distinction as far as the the individuals go. Okay? But she is now taking that step into this. And she is going to start to think, maybe this is him. So, what's going to happen now is she's going to start moving towards that because we, we run out of time, so I'm going to have to pick this up next week. Because in the next verse, she's going to say this in, in uh, uh, John 4.20. She's going to ask him a question which only the prophet would know. She's going to say, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Okay? And that, that's the, the Mount Jerusalem and so on. It says, and you Jews say that, it is, that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. We're going to talk about this. And this is when Jesus turns around and says to her, And Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, okay, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Alright, so this is all coming up. I, I want to read that to you to let you know that she is beginning to understand this might be the Messiah. If he is, then he's the one that can explain which is the right mountain, who is right. And don't, he's going to love his answer. I love his answer. Because that answer allows us to do what we're doing here today. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. Amen? We can be anywhere we want. Are you getting this? Okay. And he gave her the answer. Maybe not the answer she was looking for, but the answer she needed. She needed to know that God didn't care. The Jews said God cared. God didn't care. It didn't matter whether it was this mountain, whether it was in Jerusalem. It really did. See, he's, he's going to say, the time is coming when none of this will matter. What you hold so dear to you, what people have made you feel ashamed of because you're not in Jerusalem worshipping because that's where real worship takes place. You know all the stuff that would have been coming at them. Huh? And Jesus said, Sweetheart, none of that is going to matter. The time is coming where you worship the Father and He's going to say in spirit and in truth. doesn't matter where you are. Amen? So we're going to pick all that up. We're going to look at all of that. And there's so much to say getting up to that point. Alright. Hope you were blessed with this. I really want to get to the whole story because you know, I just want to see it one big straight line but we need like six hours to get through it. And so we'll do it over a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, so let's have every head bowed, every head closed. Let's conclude for today. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word, and we just thank you, Father, for just everything that we are learning.